Hey, hey, welcome into the Big Ten Huddle. I'm your host, JR, and with me today, I have two awesome guests and one guest that's going to be with us for the remainder of the month. That guest is Justin Adams from his podcast over at the Voice of College Football, All About Nebraska. And then what's the other one, Justin? Cheesy Corn? Yeah, it's Cheesy Corn Sports. Uh, It's a fantasy football podcast. My buddy's a Packers fan. I am a Nebraska fan, obviously, and uh, we are fantasy football nerds, so we started our own channel. So if you... uh, into that stuff there you go yeah so you probably know justin justin's been on here a couple times now he's gonna be joining us for the month of january just talk football here on tuesday nights so super excited to have him here and then we also have derek who is just has so much to gloat about listen i came in and i'm standing in the paint i even wore my hat i was like listen I didn't pick Michigan. I'm going to deal with it. Those of you who want to get mad at me, feel free to comment. I'll put your nasty comments up telling me that my hat looks weird, whatever. Uh, and I'm sure Derek will just laugh at it all. Derek, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing great. Doing great. Love, love you. Uh, owning the, uh, uh, you know, the, the Ohio State fandom here. For real, for real. I have to. I have to. So, all right. Well, good to have both of you guys here. We are going to touch on some awesome topics tonight. But before we do that, I do want to remind everybody, please do like and subscribe. We appreciate that. Uh, And then please do also check out Big Banter Sports, bigbantersports.com for all your Big Ten media needs. That's where, oh, I didn't get a chance for Derek to talk about it. That's where Derek's podcast is. Derek, go ahead and tell people about the uh, Victor's Nation podcast. Yeah, so uh, the Victor's Nation. For those of you that don't don't know us yet, um, we represent Michigan fans, um, kind of coast to coast, border to border. Um, we uh, have a, a Facebook page. Uh, follow us. Um, quite a few uh, closing in on fifteen thousand followers uh, on Facebook right now. Uh, we've got our podcast on YouTube uh, that you can follow at the Victor's Nation podcast uh follow us on twitter follow us on tiktok um and visit our website www.thevictorsnation.com uh we try and connect our our fans our followers to uh to, to good sources of michigan content so um legitimate sources that are presenting information um in a, a factual way uh we try and connect those those sources of content with michigan fans to keep you up to date on relevant content your own there you go. Love it. Appreciate it, Derek. And then, uh, Justin, I can give you a chance to talk about voice of college football in Nebraska. You want to talk about that at all? Yeah, just, um, you know, uh, we go live every Tuesday, um, every single week updating, you know, just on uh, currently, you know, us being out of the bull picture, um, recruiting and stuff like that, which has been, you know, more exciting for us than a bowl game. So, um, yeah. And then, um, you know, video content coming, you know, I'm recording and uh, posting stuff on the channel as we get news. So just any uh, Husker fans or anybody who wants to follow along with any Husker news. Um, yep. Slide over there. There you go. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Let's get into our first topic, which is the Michigan win over Alabama. Listen, this was Honestly, I just sat down and I just said, it doesn't matter to me. I really don't like either of these teams. I'm just going to watch the game, let it happen. I thought it was going to be a great game, and boy, did it live up to it because I thought Michigan was out of it. I even saw some Michigan uh, people tweeting like, oh, game's over, it's all over, and then Jalen Melrose fumbles, J.J. McCarthy leads him down the field. They go for it on fourth down on like their own 35. Jim Harbaugh, uh, major props to him. That was that was a gutsy, gutsy move. I don't know if he had any other option to do it but i mean at the end of the day michigan deserved that win uh their punt returner decided to give them a little bit of a heart attack there at the end of regulation but hey by by the by the small 
margins. They were able to keep it out of the end zone, keep it out of the safety range. Um, just all kinds of twists and turns. It was such a fun game to watch. Um, Derek, we'll let you go first. What were your thoughts on this win over Alabama? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was huge. Um, you know, Alabama. So for, for as much as I like to preach on the development of, of players, um, and, uh, when you're a Michigan fan, you you convince yourself that stars don't as mat don't matter as much uh, in recruiting, and that development matters. But there's a couple programs that recruit at a different level, and Alabama has been one of them. Um, so the the notion it's almost like coming into this week, um, even though Michigan was favored in the game. Uh, it it kind of se- seemed like the notion was they don't got a chance against Bama's going to put them in their place. Bama's going to show everyone that they can't win unless they cheat. Um, but oh, by the way, this isn't the same Bama team uh, that we're used to seeing. So it's like everyone was making Michigan the underdog, taking away all the success that they had uh, throughout the course of the season, uh, but then trying to cover up and say, Oh, but this isn't the same the same uh, star powered Bama that we're used to seeing. Um, but hey, if you look at the the twenty four seven composite of the, the talent on each roster for this year, Alabama's number one. Alabama had eighteen five star players on the team. Um, Alabama, I think, had seventy four. Seventy four of their players are four or five star recruits. That's a different. Level. That means that they're going. Three strings deep at pretty much every position on the roster with guys that were four or five star recruits. Uh, Michigan has two five star players, JJ McCarthy and Logan, and only five star recruits that are on. Um, so it, it was a big win because when you look at the actual talent on the field in the program, based off of where they came out of high school, when you look at Everything that Michigan went through this year, um, Jim Harbaugh being suspended for uh, six games in total, um, controversially. All right, we, we we just saw recruits pulling up in brand new Lamborghinis to sign on national signing, and Jim Harbaugh took a suspension for saying that he didn't remember uh, whether or not he picked up the tab in 2020. Uh, for, for right, um, but everyone's been pretty quick to back the entire Michigan program this year. And what we've done through the second half of the season, uh, beating Penn State, beating Ohio State with Jim Harbaugh suspended with a linebacker coach, um, player going into, uh, the college football playoff and, and drawing Bama and having everyone say, you guys were scared, uh, to play Bama. You guys can't hang with the SEC. You don't have the same speed that the SEC has. Looks like they had the same speed that the SEC. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it was awesome. But, um, to, to get some shout outs, um, on what actually took place, that was probably the best coach in the champion that I've watched since the Ohio State team in 2020. Uh, right. This game, Michigan, uh, Sean Moore, Jesse Minter, Jim Harbaugh, the coach. Um, it, if it, if it wasn't for a, a couple a couple miscues, this game wasn't an overtime. There there was an eleven point swing on special teams miscues, uh, missed field goal 
flashbacks to point. Um, and fumbled punt early on that led to a short field with Alabama there. So the game ended up coming down to the wire in overtime. Defense played absolutely phenomenal. I was so impressed with how our defensive line dominated Alabama the entire game. Um, the entire game. So Alabama offensively, Monroe had a couple chunk plays, um, and their running back had, had the big run and, and a couple other chunk runs throughout the rest of the game. That was our RD line was not giving any time to what Trump field. Our secondary was uh, a secondary play. There wasn't a lot open, even if there was time. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it was one of those games where you saw Michigan, like their their players were conquering the entire game. Alabama just seemed to get these plays here and there that kind of kept their drives alive, kept making things happen. Um, but I, I was even just talking to somebody right before I came on here. Like if it wasn't for the special team miscues that Michigan had, you know, the, the, you know, the miss snap on the field goal and the, the Bosch punt return, uh, which it was almost two, but the, the one <clears throat> setting it up for Alabama there, like this, this game, wouldn't have been close. Like there's no way this game is going to overtime or anything like that. Uh, and then ultimately it was the fumble by Jalen Milrow that gave Michigan, you know, the new life there at the end of the game. Not like they were completely away, but Michigan was like two or three plays away from a first down, which probably would have gave them the game. And, uh, so, you know, you look at all this and how things shaped out. Uh, you really do have to just tip your cap to Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff and what they were able to do. Uh, they ran their trick plays and, but it wasn't, it wasn't their trick plays that won them the game. You know, yeah, JJ completed that, you know, crazy pass to, that, that to was Roman Wilson. Uh, arguably his best best pass of the game, probably, to right? to, to, to catch the ball, take a hit, and and complete the pass on it. Uh, right. That was, that was um, huge. But, like, the flea flicker, like, that didn't, like, they were all open, but that didn't even turn into anything because the pitch back, obviously, Blake Corum had to block spot. right away. Um, yeah. So it wasn't really a chance, but... I mean, they Michigan lined up and and they beat Alabama fair and square. So, um, Justin, what were some of your thoughts on the game? Yeah, <clears throat> and and you know, looking at the game from you know, I think Michigan won from not only the standpoint of looking at it small picture, right? Looking at the fact that they're going to the national championship, you know, that's a win in and of itself. Um, but just looking at it from the entire scandal that they went through, right? Um, I'm an Astros fan, so I know firsthand what it's like to be a fan of an organization's cheating, but I also know what it's like to, you know, on the outside looking in, I want to, you know, go after Michigan. And I was one of the people that went after him, you know, when Harbaugh got suspended, I think the first game was against Rutgers and Rutgers gave them all they can handle, you know, and they, you know, one of the games they gave up, I think it might've been the first game he was suspended. They gave up the most points they gave up all season, you know, so, or was it Maryland? I cannot quite remember the team, but that being said, you know, if everybody's waiting on Michigan to fail, right. And not only that, there's mounting pressure of Michigan to win in these big games. Okay. So people were already ready to jump on them for not winning in the big games people were extra ready to jump on them for the cheating, right? So this game in and of itself had so much pressure on Michigan and they've shown this year the ability to not only, you know, take that pressure on, but still perform. They're very, they very much act as a unit, right? Michigan is very much, and this is a testament to Harbaugh and the culture that he's built there. They don't let the noise get to them. 
you know, and I think that's one of the biggest things to what he was talking about where Alabama, you know, SEC team and all this other stuff. But if you don't look at the cheating, you know, in a with a microscope and you look at Michigan's play over the course of the season, when Connor Stallions was gone, they're still the best team in college football. You know, it, it's we we hyper focus on that because we want to dismiss their accomplishments and that blinds us from from what we're actually seeing. Michigan has far and away been the best team in college football this year, in my opinion. And, you know, the biggest thing that people were wondering, that defensive line, you know, how's it going to stand up to Jalen Merrill being probably the most dynamic QB they faced? Boy, did they pass that test, you know? And so in the grand scheme of things, this big picture, this win is more important than I think people realize um, because it does take a huge monkey off their back. And also it just changes the perspective a little bit of, and people are still going to – it's never going to go away. When Harbaugh is gone, when this entire roster is gone, I'm telling you it's never going to go away as an Astros fan. It's always going to be there to dismiss your accomplishments. But the one way you can counter that is by winning still. And through it all, and Michigan did that. And that's going to be the biggest thing for Harbaugh's legacy and this team going forward. Yeah, you have any thoughts on that, Derek? Yeah, and I, I agree with with a lot of it, right? Um, you know, a, a couple of fan bases in particular, uh, JR. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who they are. Um, certainly, certainly are, certainly are going to put an asterisk next to anything that happened this season um, and anything that happened the last the last couple of seasons. And um, but you're you're touching on some stuff, right? Uh, the the culture of this team and uh, what what's been built by by Jim Harbaugh and, and not just Jim Harbaugh but the entire coaching staff. Um, the story, the story of this Michigan football team, it's really unfortunate because um, there's a couple individuals on this team that are amazing people in in the Ann Arbor community, um, right? Blake Blake Quorum every year is out giving out um, giving out turkeys for Thanksgiving. So um, so the the week of the the game, he's out distributing turkeys with money that he made via NIL. Uh, JJ McCarthy. Always out uh, putting putting money into the community, putting time into the community. Um, they did they did a couple toy drives this year that were just absolutely phenomenal for for turnouts. Um, this this team has a lot of individuals on it that embody the culture that that they've developed as a unit of basically the uh, the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? The the team is more important than all of the individual efforts that, that make up the team. And you see it, you, you see that there's no, uh, I was surprised yesterday. Um, Donovan Edwards was utilized very little in the game plan. Um, and I expected with the matchup against Alabama's linebackers, that that would be a, a key potential matchup to, uh, to take advantage of. And, uh, you know, Sharon Moore knows more than I do. And Jim Harbaugh knows more than I do. Um, and, uh, their offensive game plan was phenomenal. They they had Alabama's defense confused, and um, that doesn't mean that they scored on every de- drive. That doesn't mean that they're hitting a bunch of big plays. But that's not Michigan style. Uh, the the Joel Klatt boa constrictor analogy is what Michigan does. They'll move the ball a little bit. Punt next drive. They'll go seventy five yards and score a touchdown and eat up nine minutes off the clock. Uh, and their defense is going to play good between those two drives. Um, so that's that's what they do. They they got some matchups with the tight ends. Um, they got Blake, 
Blake Quorum out of the backfield catching some passes. Um, they had some some good motion that opened up some big plays in their run game. Um, they hit Roman Wilson a, a few times. Tyler Morris with the big play where they got him matched up on a linebacker and it, he turned it into a touchdown. Um, it, it, they've done amazing things. But the, the story of the team, it's being overshadowed. It, it should be some some really great storylines. Uh, Junior Colson, um, an- another amazing storyline. If you... I don't want to dive into to that one, but if, if you want to read a great story, um, look up some information on on Junior Colson and uh, what he's gone through to to get to Michigan. Um, and he ended up winning the the Lot Award this year, which is um, given to uh, the college athlete that like represents the the best combination of everything: um, a member of the community, uh, student athlete, and and player on the field, um, and another just great person from a great family, but that's not the story, right? The story has been Connor Stallings. The, the story has been a low level, st- low level staffer with um, accusations of, of breaking a, a vague rule that so far there still isn't anything that's putting out there that says, here is the exact rule that was broken. And here is what we're pursuing as a punishment. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and this is my last thing. It's very like, there's, it's almost identical to the Astros, right? Cause it wasn't written in the, in the rule book, you know, necessarily, but they were still the, the they were the, and, and it could be happening elsewhere, you know, but college football is a business. They're going to, they're going to definitely double down and point at the one team that they know is doing it. So they don't put a black eye on the rest of college football. And, you know, the other factor is with what we talked about, that recipe is there for sustained winning and sustained winning is the one thing that's going to always be there to be like, okay, but we continue to win. And that's going to be what Michigan fans are going to be able to use similar to the Astros. The Astros continue to win. If Michigan continues to win, sustains a success, they're going to be like, yeah, but clearly it didn't make that much of a difference. And then your argument, low level staff or no proof of anything holds a little bit more weight. So um, yeah, this is the big time, big time for Michigan for sure. Well, I said to, like I talked to somebody right before I came on here and I told him, I was like, you know, I used the cheating thing for a while, but at Me the too. end of the day, like that was just my own cope, right? <laughs> that was my own way of being like, well, my team sucks. So, you know, <laughs> to deal with this somehow. But I mean, at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, you know, even if something does come out and happen and, you know, I mean, worst case scenario, Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan and the coordinators are fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, that's like worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, who, know, who knows even what's going to happen? Um, but <clears throat> like, even if something like that does happen, you can take away the wins. You can take away the coaches. But the thing that the NCAA will never be able to take away, that nobody will be able to ever be able to take away is the highlights of the players the memories of seeing jj mccarthy seeing blake corum uh you know like the emotions that you felt watching those games i'm seeing these videos online of like michigan fans going crazy after they won the game and like the NCAA can take those away. ESPN can try to diminish those all they want and talk about how Jim Harbaugh's leaving and talk about how they cheated, all these things. But at the end of the day, like you will never be able to rip away from Michigan fans the joy that they felt beating Ohio State three times. You know, going to the national going to the playoffs three <laughs> times, going to the national championship this year. Like nobody will ever be able to take that away from Michigan. And so I look at it and I just say, you know what? Like you said, like you said, just just keep winning because at yeah. the end of the day, that means that means it all. And before we get done with this discussion, I want to bring up one player because he was just phenomenal to me, and I'm not hearing anybody talk about him. Um, 
Trent Jones or Trent A. Jones, however Trent you Jones. say it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. For him to come in to that game, you know, Zach Center's down. He's playing right tackle. I mean, Henderson was the one that struggled, right? The left tackle. He's been starting all season long. And Jones yeah. comes in there and he played. I mean, the dude played a great game. And he was exactly yeah. what they needed it pass blocking wise, run blocking wise. It just it it was it was really, really cool to see. Obviously hard for me to see because of my fandom, but when I take a step back and I just look at a player come in and play for his team, like that was that was cool, cool to see. So yeah, uh, that, you that talk about that for a second, Derek, and then we'll move on. Yeah, so so that was the offensive line played great. Um, you know, they the only sack that Michigan took was a technicality when uh, they Alex Orgy came in the game and um, they tried to to get the uh, the one man route going, kind of a, a trick play and catch Bama off guard. And uh, instead of throwing it away, he he ran out of bounds with it and lost a couple of yards. So that was the only sack credited against Michigan in the mm-hmm. game, um, which is phenomenal because that was a, a storyline commission offense line hold up against a D line like Alabama's and they did. Um, but on uh, Trenty Jones was, was great. But um, Carson Barnhart uh, is another one that, that fits exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he started at right tackle all season in the Ohio state game. Right. Uh, he, when Zach Zinter got hurt, he's the one that slid, slid from right tackle to right guard. Um, and then Blake Corum ran right behind him and, and had his touchdown run on the next play. Um, he's the one that, uh, in overtime, he, he played a great game yesterday, but in overtime, he's the one that pulled, pulled and made the, the big block on the linebacker to, mm. uh, to give Blake the, the lane for his touchdown run in overtime. Um, so, uh, it, it's just a selfless team. Uh, I, I mean, you could go, you could talk about the, the defense, um, in, in the same capacity, right? Will, Will Johnson, um, no receptions given up, uh, only, only two targets, his directional game, uh, no catches, uh, Mike Barrett, uh, Mikey Sanra still, um, you, you could talk about eight people on their defensive line, um, that contributed and, uh, made game impacting plays. Um, and it's funny because I was, I was watching the game and when there's going to be an offensive MVP and a defensive MVP, I was like, how, how are they going to come up with a defensive MVP? Like no yeah. one person just had such an eye popping game because they all did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was to to clarify one yeah. thing for my end too, I am in no way a Michigan uh, support. I, I like, sorry, Derek, but like <laughs> ever since ever since COVID, right? And and us and Ohio State fans kind of joined forces into wanting to play football. And Michigan seemed like the one that didn't want to play football. I kind of had a negative opinion about him, and I've kind of been on the Ohio State side. So I'm saying this from that perspective. So you better. Uh, so so Derek out. is enjoying two people eat Mich- instead of just one. right. But I'm trying. I'm but- being unbiased, and I'm trying to be realistic. But there, there's probably some misconceptions um, on your perspective. Uh, the previous president probably. of Michigan um, was very much not pro sports um, yeah. at all. And yeah. uh, Jim Harbaugh, the staff, the players, they organized rallies. They organized marches that the, the play, uh, players' parents were, were on campus um, marching, trying to, to do everything that they could to allow some sort of a, a season. That's all that the team wanted to do is to, to play football. Um, it was the, the, the president at the time um, recorded a, a video of him wishing all of the students uh, a happy um, Labor Day weekend when uh, the Michigan football team was marching through campus uh, 
to to rally to try and get support from the administration to to let them have a season. Well, that's that's nice and dandy, but the game I went to this year in Nebraska was the Michigan game, so that also like, <laughs> <laughs> that makes it hard to root for. Um, <clears throat> my boy, casual Big Ten Kent, he said, "Did you hear the head ref was a Michigan fan?" Follow up: Did Michigan fans deserve that after the Lions game Saturday? Uh, I did hear that he was a Michigan fan. I, I question the credibility of the account that that came from. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit when we discuss the Ohio State cheating. Um, yeah, did they deserve that after the Lions game <laughs> Saturday? Um, I, I don't watch a ton of NFL, but I did see that, and I and I did feel bad for the state of Michigan. I think that's the first time I ever felt bad for the state of Michigan in my life. Uh, and it was, I also had a little bit of attachment to it because of Taylor Decker, uh, Ohio yeah. State offensive lineman. But um, but I don't know. Did you guys think the the refing was fair? I mean, obviously there was that running into the kicker. I guess that you know was missed. I didn't hear the explanation on it because I had it muted at the time. I thought it seemed like that. Might have been missed. Um, there was a holding, a blatant holding on Alabama that I saw on one of the DNs that was missed. I feel like there was missed calls on both sides. It didn't seem blatant. What did you guys think of the refing? I thought I thought it was I thought it was a, a decently officiated game. Yeah, uh, that that was a missed call on running into the kicker. Um, yeah. That that certainly should have been running into the kicker. Um, th- there there were a couple small things here and there. Like uh, Michigan had a, a good drive going. Um, and they got called on a personal follow for um, finishing a block, basically. Uh, Bredesen. Oh, yeah, that one. That, uh, was, that was stupid. Yeah. Uh, Bredesen finished a block, and uh, you, you probably there's probably a dozen other times you saw players do that throughout the course of the game because that's just kind of what they do when they pancake somebody. Is the they, same they thing happened to uh, one of the Ohio State offensive linemen in the Notre Dame game? Uh, yeah. And so when I saw it, I was like, well, I thought it was stupid against Ohio State, so I better think it's stupid against Michigan if I want to be consistent. So <laughs> Yeah. Right. And and then the the only other thing that that I saw that comes to mind right now was uh towards towards the end of the game, I think it was on the the touchdown drive, uh JJ McCarthy got got tackled like four yards out of bounds. Um where ninety nine percent of the times when you when you see a quarterback get hit and yeah. in uh, that far out of bounds, you're going to see a flag thrown. Um, Got your Mahomes and there wasn't one. Inbounds. Yeah, I know, it? right? <laughs> Mahomes gets some inbounds. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Very true. All right, well, let's move on. We have more Michigan to talk about yeah. because we have... There it is. That- Michigan plays Washington for the national championship. Number one versus number two, 14 and 0 versus number 14 and 0. Michigan's favored by four and a half points. Washington, we're not going to break down that game, but it was a really good game too. They looked dominant. Michael Penix Jr. looked like the best quarterback in college football. I think he probably should have won the Heisman. Sue me. I don't care. You know, his team actually won something other like the other Heisman winner, uh, but we won't get into that. Um, but I think I think this is gonna be a great game. I think there's there's good on good. There's you know a little bit of you know weakness on a little bit of weakness here. Um, it's hard to pick out weaknesses on these teams, but if you can, there's a little bit here and there. Uh, but oh, I just got a notification on my phone that Dylan, uh, what is it, Dylan Johnson, the running back for Washington, plans to play. So that's good news for them in this one. Uh, but it, this this is another one where it should be a great game. The Joe Moore winning offensive line goes up against the reigning Joe Moore winning offensive line overall it's just gonna be a great game Justin what are your thoughts going into this one 
Yeah. Um, and to your point on the officiating, I think the officiating was even. That's, that might be something that we might see in this game too, where it's one of those things that people are going to post stuff with Michigan. And di- they know right now, taking the traction of the cheating stuff, anybody's going to take anything can to dismiss it. So there's going to be a lot of posts about that in this game as well. But Michigan, to me, is, again, I just think they've been the best team in college football over the course of the season. And it's no different in this. No, no disrespect to Washington. Washington's a really good team. But there's something to be said, again, about not only the camaraderie of the Michigan team, but just the defense of Michigan and how exceptional they've been all season. And I think what that defense is going to do is they're going to impose their will on Washington because I I know Washington, you know, as we see, they want to not only, you know, get their playmakers in space, but they want to utilize the deep ball. Uh, Michigan stays really within themselves and I don't think they're going to be I don't think they're going to be able to to take that deep ball you know and what is Washington going to do when that big part of their offense is taken away from them Um, because Penix does struggle with the middle of the field intermediate throws so if they force him into that that Washington offense is going to look completely different we're talking about a defense that gave up 9.4 points per game um you know, this is going to be the true test. And I just don't think Washington, for what it's worth, I mean, they they played in, you know, a, a lesser conference. Um, Texas, not known for their defense. Big 12, not known for their defense. So um, I just think Michigan's going to impose their will. I think it may be close early. And then I think Michigan, you know, similar to what Michigan's done majority of the season, the Rutgers game, for instance, you know, they that game was close up till about halftime and then Michigan started to pull their way. It's just going to be no different here. I just think they're going to be able to wear them down. They're the deeper team. They recruit better and they've, they've been here before and they've shut out all this noise, man. I just feel like this team is so together and so much as a unit right now, it's going to be really hard to beat them regardless. It feels like destiny. I mean, yeah. it really does. Um, Derek, what do you think? Destiny? Or are you a little nervous? Um, any given week right now, right? So, so we're down to the to the national championship game, um, and you never know the way things are going to roll, right? This this past week, Michigan muffed two pump punts. Um, you you had some uncharacteristic uh, plays where um, uh, I, I I think the Samaj Morgan running a slant on third down, and uh, one of the fastest guys uh, on the football field as a true freshman, but ball went right 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 through his hands, right? If if he he probably catches that 99 times out of a hundred. He probably catches that and he catches that one in stride and he's got a lane, right? Uh, when you make those plays, the game gets a lot easier. Uh, when you don't make the plays that are there to be made, the game gets a lot harder. Um, so uh, any given week, the uh, there, there's no do-overs in a game. And, and when you're practicing, you can get as many reps as you want. In a game, you've got one rep at that one opportunity. And if you don't make a play, that could be majorly impacting of the end result of what happens in the game. So uh, I don't want to say so comfortable that, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a walk in the park because it certainly isn't. Um, and, and everything that you're talking about with the Michigan culture, Justin, um, I, I think Washington embodies a lot of that, a lot of that same stuff. Um, they're, they're another team. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Phoenix is should have been the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Absolutely, um, no, no doubt in my mind. And those receivers, they're good. Uh, they, they they've got some good receivers. That offensive line uh, was voted the best the best offensive line in college football. 
Michigan's defensive line is going to take that as disrespect against their brothers um, uh, this week. But <laughs> um, they're give credit to Washington. They've they've built themselves, and uh, you know there, there's no controversy there that um, that they've had to battle through. But there's not much respect either. Uh, nobody, uh, even though they beat Oregon the first time they played them. Nobody, I think Oregon is like a 10 point favorite or something like that, uh, for the, uh, the Pac-12 championship. Yep. Um, so they, they've been the ones that have been disrespected every step of the way as well in a different manner. And, um, they talk about Michigan only having two five stars on their roster and, and how big that is to have a team like that beat a team like Alabama. Washington has zero. So in this game, there are two total five-star recruits on the football field. Colorado has more than that on their roster. <laughs> uh, TCU has more than that on their roster. <laughs> um, so you're, you're talking about football teams, not a bunch of highly recruited football players in this game. Um, I, think, I think you're exactly right, though, Justin. Um, I, I think that uh, what we saw with Washington and Texas was a classic big 12 defense against a classic Pac 12 defense. Um, you know, that, uh, defenses in the big 10 and defenses in the sec are a little bit different than defenses in the Pac 12 and and defenses in the big 12. Um, the, the defensive line is not going to give the, the same amount of time. Uh, you, you saw it this week, that defensive line was aving the pocket every single time that, that they tried to keep Milrow in the pocket. Um, the secondary, right? Uh, uh, it's besides Will Johnson and All Star secondary, but man, Josh Wallace played phenomenal. Rod Moore played phenomenal. Um, Keon Sab played great. Uh, Will Johnson, or uh, not Will Johnson, uh, Quentin Johnston played great in the secondary. Um, so I, I think that this is a, a different beast. Michigan does have the best defense in college football, um, I feel, and it's at every level. And there might not be a first round draft pick at every level like there was on Alabama's defense, but um, there's a group of stars. There's a a, a five star defensive line with no five stars on it. There's a five star linebacking core with no five stars on it. A five star secondary with only one five star in it um, on Michigan's defense because of the development that those players have been coached into. And that's going to, if you watched Washington throughout the course of the year, the games that that they struggled in were the games that they couldn't get the the passing game open. The games that uh, the the game script um, pulled them uh, where they had to to play from behind uh, a little bit. Those were the games that they that they struggled in, and that very well could be the game script that Michigan puts them in. But it will be close because Michigan's not the team that hits big plays and has one to two minute scoring drives. They're, they're gonna they're gonna beat you up every time they have the ball. They're, they're going to be throwing body shots, body shots, body shots, body shots. Um, they're they're going to beat the body before they throw any haymakers. And what that does to a team like Washington is really frustrating um, because seven-minute drive here, seven-minute drive here, seven-minute drive here. Pretty soon it's halftime and it's 13-3. to three. You feel like you're in the game, but you feel pretty frustrated because you don't feel like you got any opportunities. And I, I think that that's, that's what Michigan's done all year that's allowed them to, to pull away in the second half um, is just little by little. Uh, you outscore someone 13 to three each half, you end up with a, a 26 to six game, um, which 
old old college football might call that close, but with new clock rules this year in college football, it, it's a lot more NFL like as far as the the scores and the importance of each possession. Yeah, for sure. I think that you know uh, Michael Penix, like both of you guys have alluded to, is is the absolute key in this game, and not just what he does, but what he is able to do uh, with his offensive line as well. We saw the kind of pressure that Michigan was able to get on uh, Jalen Milrow uh, consistently with with some of the stunts that they do, and just the the sheer power of what they were able to do to Alabama's offensive line, who is a young offensive line. They have a ton of five, I don't know, all of them are five stars, but they have a lot of stars on that line. But at the end of the day, like Michigan still had the dudes to, you know, number one, outsmart them with some of their stunts and number two, just out physical them in a lot of ways. Uh, Washington has the Joe Moore winning offensive line. And so it's going to be a huge test for them because, you know, Jesse Minter is going to be scheming up every single thing possible. Uh, those defensive tackles that Michigan have are uber athletic um seeing some of them be able to stunt the way they do i think sometimes we see a stunt and we're like oh why don't more teams do that and it's like because not every team has a you know a 340 defensive tackle who has the agility of a wide receiver you know i mean obviously that's probably a bit of an exaggeration but you know what i mean like he's just super athletic kenneth grant is another one of those guys you know just uber athletic to be able to do what he does um and so it, it's going to be critical for Washington's offensive line to give uh Michael Penix time uh and the other part of Michael Penix that I think is a little um underrated about his game with how he is able to help his offensive line is that he does have that quick release I mean you can see Michael Penix sometimes where like he doesn't move his feet at all and he just shoots his arm and the ball goes where wherever it seems to need to go. I mean, there was one throw. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but there was somebody coming around in the stunt. One of the Texas uh, defensive ends came around in the stunt was, was basically a free hitter, free hitter on Michael Pittix Jr. And the dude just flicked, flicked his wrist yep. and the ball just hit right in the bread basket um, of the wide receiver. Um, and so, I mean, Michael Pittix is going to have to do that all game long. Is he able to, I have no idea. Um, I don't think he's able to. I think Michigan's secondary is better uh, than Texas's secondary by a lot. Um, I don't think Texas has a very good secondary, so I think that helped Washington out. Um, but at this point, I'm done picking against Michigan. I'm picking Michigan <laughs> in this one to win, and I'm picking them to win by 10-plus points, two yeah. scores, because at the end of the day, I think that you know a lot of the stuff that you said, Derek, with – frustrating Washington's offense and, you know, those long drives and really wearing out Washington's defense. I think that stuff is going to come to fruition. And if Washington does score, it's going to be on, you know, some big plays that's going to get their defense right back out there uh, and really make it difficult for them. So I think it's good for Washington that their running back is playing. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, um, I'm picking Michigan by at least two scores. I think I, 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 I personally, it just doesn't seem likely to me that Washington wins. Um, not as experienced a coach. Jim Harbaugh is a better coach. You know, Michigan's the better team. At the end of the day, uh, it would take some crazy mess ups by the Michigan, you know, special teams and stuff like that. A lot more than what we saw against Alabama uh, for them to win. But I, I just I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to ha- let that happen. If anything, it was kind of good that it happened against Alabama because I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to let it happen. <laughs> No, yeah, and and this is actually if you've watched Michigan historically, um, they're they're much 
they're much sharper from the start of the game when they get to game plan for for a week. Um, that that big break between the regular season and um, like New Year's Day bowl games or the college football playoffs, uh, that big break you you've seen it kind of three years in a row now, right? Uh, they they came out and didn't look good against Georgia um, a couple years ago. Um, they came out and played the worst game of the year last year against TCU, uh, and then they came out uh, yesterday and started the same way, right? Um, they their offense uh, went went three and out, and then their defense stepped up and forced Alabama to punt right away, and they fumbled the punt and then gave up a touchdown run, right? And it was like all, all over again, uh, just mistake, mistake, mistake to to start the game. Uh, they're they're much sharper as a team when they get that one week of of preparation and get right back to it. Can I have one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. Just, just, just to support your prediction too is and a lot, what I've noticed is a lot of people in the conversation, right? We're focusing strength on strength, right? Washington's offense versus Michigan's defense, and I get that, right? But you're not focusing on the advantage that Michigan has, I believe, in their offense versus Washington's defense. And that disparity, we're talking about Michigan's defense being better than Washington's offense. And if it's not, people are saying it's close. You know, nobody's saying Washington's offense is going to go dominate Michigan's defense. Then you look at the other side of the ball. And to me, that's not that 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 disparity isn't made up. It's it's made worse. So that's just more kind of, you know, I think the national conversation right now is just too much of focusing on strength versus strength, and they need to look at the other side of the ball because I think that's where the biggest story is. Yep. And and one last thing, too, because um, you, you asked about officiating in the uh, the game yesterday, and we all agreed that it was pretty fair, maybe a yep. missed call here or there. Um, Michigan, I think, is like the, the number two least penalized team uh, in college football. Um, and I think Washington is like the second most penalized team uh, mm-hmm. in college football. So uh, when it comes down to stuff like that, that can play a big role. Discipline, yeah. Got to stay away from the penalties. So, all right, good analysis here. Uh, our friend Jackson's in. What's up, Jackson. Big Ten Nation? Good to see you, Jackson. Uh, friends with Justin over at the Voice College Football. Appreciate you checking in, checking out the show. Um, let's go ahead and get to our next one. We got three things left, and we went way over time on those, but it was great discussion. So we'll, uh, sure. we'll whip through these last three things and – Get us out of here. Uh, the bowl season for the Big Ten. Obviously, we've been talking about Michigan, and we talked about new Big Ten member Washington. But how'd it go for the other Big Ten teams? Well, Minnesota, Rutgers, um, who was the other one? Northwestern. They started us off 3-0. Yep. Unfortunately, my Buckeyes decided to look like Iowa, who Iowa looked like Iowa. Actually, they didn't. They looked like Iowa on offense. They did not look like Iowa on defense. Uh, Let up 35 points to Tennessee in that game. Wisconsin gave LSU a great game, but they were still, uh, they still came up short in that one. Ole Miss was able to defeat Penn State, but ultimately Maryland comes up with the blowout to beat Auburn, which was cool to see. Not a lot of people expected that. I actually picked Auburn in that one. So, uh, and the main thing was because of Talia Tongvailoa being out of the game. However, he, he gave it to him. So, um, obviously this would be really easy to say the win, the guys who won the games won and the guys who lost the games lost, but I don't think it's that simple in bowl season, right? You have a lot of backups and stuff like that playing. So, uh, Justin, who are some teams that you felt like, you know, kind of came away from bowl season as winners. Maybe they didn't win their games or maybe they did win their games and they came away with, you know, something positive to look at for their teams. 
Well, I had Maryland listed as well for for the thing you said. Just the not only the fact that they won, but the fact and how they won. Um, you know, and you know they did it with you know their defense. Really, um, one of the players that I wanted to point out. You know, it's it's somebody who's going to fly under the radar if you're just looking at box scores and stuff like that. But uh, Perry Fisher for for uh, for Maryland in their game. Um, he had uh, four four games. His last four games, six tackles. No sacks, zero pass deflections. And in this game, he had three solos, one sack, one TFL, two pass deflections. So, you know, guys like that that are that are guys that didn't really, you know, necessarily play a huge factor in the defensive side of the ball during the season, but then they step up big in these bowl games. And, you know, those are the guys that don't get spotlight a lot, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, Maryland just stayed within themselves and didn't panic the fact that Talia was out and it seemed like they almost played better as a as a team overall, and then Rutgers doing what they've done all year. You know that that team has been physical. You know they have been physical the entire season, and they go in there and they beat a Miami team. You know without, of course, a quarterback, but that's a team of you know high level talent. Miami recruits four or five star guys. You know the talent in Florida is, is crazy good, and the fact that Rutgers, you know the 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 small thing, man on the totem pole in the Big Ten, you know, the, the guys that are at the biggest disadvantage in the Big Ten in terms of NIA and all that stuff. And they go in and they beat, you know, Miami. And the way they did it, you know, it's just they won with Big Ten football physicality and just uh, posing, you know, what they wanted to do on, on them. And so Rutgers and Maryland were the two teams that stood out the most for me. Yeah, Rutgers definitely made the Big Ten proud uh, yeah. with that one. That was going to be the one that I was going to point out was the biggest winner. And just Greg Shiano, too. Man has not lost a bowl game at Rutgers. Like, that's ridiculous. Northwestern, too. <laughs> what a story yeah. in Northwestern. Was. In Northwestern, yeah. We we talked a lot about them a couple episodes ago and David Braun and his story of the season. So, uh, fantastic for them. Uh, Derek, who were your winners of the Big Ten bowl season? Other than Michigan, we know them. Okay, give us right. some others. <laughs> Uh, so, um, Northwestern, uh, finishing off their season, the, the way that they did. So bowl season is, is honestly largely uninteresting. Uh, now it's, um, it for, for most programs, uh, if you're a big program, you didn't make the college football playoff. Now we're in an era of college football where star players are saying, uh, got better things to do to either get ready for the NFL or, Got my NIL collection for for this year. Now I'm out and I'm going to go to a different school that I actually want to go to. Um, right. So uh, it, it's it's largely a, sh- a shell of every team. Um, but the the programs that are interesting to watch are those middling programs that do have something to achieve that are able to take that bull prep to help create the, the culture that they're trying to create for their team. Um, and, and I think that that's what makes the the story of this entire season for Northwestern uh, a feel good story that uh, come on it's it's hard for anyone to dislike Northwestern like w- what do they do to make you dislike them uh nothing so it's it's not like there's a lot of anti anti north <laughs> <laughs> anti northwestern fans out there uh there there's a lot of people that genuinely uh feel good about the success that Northwestern was able to to create and and that story. So being able to finish it off with a, a bowl win um uh, against uh against Utah uh that that that's an impressive bowl win. Um that's a team that was held in high regard in the Pac twelve um all year. Uh and to go in and beat them, that that's a good win for them. Um and then Rutgers was was the the other one that um 
that I thought was a, a win for the Big Ten. Um, and a big part of that is just because I don't like Miami. Um, I, 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 Miami's been, if you want to talk about controversial football programs, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's one that, uh, th- that's almost like a rallying cry for them is, yeah, we are. So what? Um, yeah, right. but, uh, you know, it, Rutgers beating them shows, I think that it just goes to illustrate a point that, that I find high value in. And that's that, uh, it's better to build a team than buy one. Um, Absolutely. because, uh, Rut- Rutgers get, give Greg Channel credit. Um, he's, he's built the best average program in the country. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, really? that, that, that's what they are. That's where they're at. They're, they're an average program, but, but they're going to beat the teams that they should beat. They're going to beat other average programs. Um, they're going to hang around with teams that they shouldn't hang around with for longer than, than it's comfortable for them to, uh, to be in the game for that's where they're at right now. And to see them go by a team that was, I, I mean, anytime somebody commits to Miami, whether it's a, a transfer or, um, a high school kid, they got bags of money in, yep. in the pictures that they put out for them. They're, they're putting it out there <laughs> yep. for them. So I, I just love seeing that program get beat by a program that built a culture of toughness. Well, and, you know, the, the other part of it is, and <clears throat> Chris Holtman talked about this on his interview he did here on the, the channel uh, a couple of days ago. If you missed it, Chris Holtman did an interview. It was really cool. Go check it out. But he talked about how, like, you know, oftentimes the media, you know, us, we get into like these comparisons, rankings and say like, oh, well, this team, you know, they're average, so they're not as good or whatever. And they're kind of off to the side. And, you know, he talked about how, like, one of the things that coaches preach to their players, is just be the best you can be. Like, yeah, sure. We can look at everybody else and say, yes, this team's off to the national championship, whatever, like be the best you can be. And I have to believe that that is just like the message that is permeating throughout Rutgers right now which is just be the best you can be every single game go out there give them your best game possible and you know who was the team that gave michigan um ohio state and penn state their best games this season you know maryland you know sure yeah maryland gave them all good games but other than them it was Rutgers. yep i mean Rutgers and maryland were the two teams that gave the big three their best games this season. And, you know, if I would have told you that at the beginning of the season, you would have probably believed Maryland, but you wouldn't have believed Rutgers. Um, And so that's really, really cool. Really, really cool for them. And and in both cases, it was their physicality that kept them in the game, but it was the lack of talent that ended up being the, in lack of depth that ended up being the demise. But to your point, just looking at it in the grand scheme of things and Rutgers and the opinion of Rutgers, especially even when they came over to the Big Ten, uh, success is very much situational, right? And Rutgers is not in a great, location for recruiting they don't have a crazy nil they don't have a crazy fan base but i mean look at i'll use nebraska for instance like look at what they've been able to do in the same amount of time that nebraska has you know and it that in in and of itself right there just shows that rutgers you know in the echelon of of just how much better they're doing than what they should be doing that that's a it's a huge success over there and i I don't i think i don't think it's recognized enough because we you said we tend to focus on the flashy objects and the guys at the top. And a lot of people in college football world outside of the Big Ten just still dismiss Rutgers. And they're going to stop doing that before too long. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you got a, a fellow GBO. Hey, what's up? Go Big Red, baby. Gabriel. We're still here. 
new writers for Big Banter. Uh, glad to have him checking out here. Uh, all right, let's go on to the the other side of it, which is you know the teams that you know were disappointments and not impressed. So I'll just go ahead and start with the first one: Ohio State. Um, the offense, Ryan Day, whoever you want to blame it on. Um, that was you know probably the worst offensive performance since the Clemson game in what 2017 18 I don't even know I see I blanked it out and I'll probably blank this one out too because that was just that was putrid to watch it was gross um and it's got a lot of Ohio State fans not just wanting Ryan Day gone but I've even heard some Ohio State fans saying strip Brian Hartline of his offensive coordinator job uh you know because at the end of the day they're not happy uh losing to Michigan will do that losing your bowl game will do that and not just losing your bowl game but being embarrassed in your bowl game uh not being able to move the ball uh so you know if I'm gonna give myself a, a biggest disappointment Ohio State's got to be up there uh and not just because of the loss you know i mean it is bowl season i don't think you take losses too bad um but it's kind of how you look and in ohio state they did not they did not look good they changed around their offensive line it did not do well um derek who who uh were your disappointments in the big 10 bowl season so the, ohio state is certainly the most glorious disappointment uh in i'm sure uh, you had a great season, night that so. night too so um but but seriously, you know, in in all in reality, so Ohio State's not supposed to look like that, um, right? E- even if they have a couple a couple players opt out or or not play, um, there's only two other programs in college football that recruit anywhere near the level that Ohio State recruits at, and that's Georgia and Alabama. And so, what that team is supposed to look like in a bowl game. Even so, all right. So no Kyle McCord, no Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. right. Um, okay. So you, you you took your your starting quarterback, uh, starting quarterback out. Uh, best wide receiver in college football out. All right. All you do is recruit receivers. All you do is recruit quarterbacks. You should have someone. You should have multiple people ready to to step up. Um, and another thing that I think should be, should be concerning. And I, I think is concerning is what's going on with that culture. Well, what's like, where, where is, where is the team that's fired up to go and play football? Where's the Rutgers that Justin was just talking about that, um, is going to go in there and outperform their expectations. Uh, because as soon as things started not going Ohio state's way, they didn't find a way to correct them. Um, there, there, there was the fight that Urban Meyer teams had uh, when things weren't going Ohio State's way, and granted, Urban Meyer was always good for for one for like a bad loss every year or two, um, right? He was. That State, happens. Purdue, Iowa, yeah, it yeah, that that happens. But it just seems like the culture of Ohio State is beat down right now, and um, the the coaching staff kind of seems like they're like they're beat down right now. It seems like. Where there's a couple other programs that that we've been talking about that are are building teams, it seems like Ohio State's just going after good players right now, um, and and they're not building a team that's all moving in the right direction. And that should be concerning, but it's great to watch from from my perspective. Um, and then Iowa, I would say, uh, is a, another disappointment. Um, I, I have a, a lot of respect for um, for Kirk Ferentz and. Um, what he has done at Iowa, 
Um, I, I don't know that there's another coach in college football that's done more with less consistently. Um, you know, you're, you're you, a, a program that develops players um, for four or five years all the time. Uh, and it's all blue collar, hardworking players that do their job to the best of their ability and are where they're supposed to be. That's what the Iowa program is. And that's not what they look like. Um, and I always, I, I'm, I try to be very careful to, to respect college players and respect the fact that, you know, they're, they're largely 18 to, to 22 year old athletes. Um, but I just have, I've had ringing in, in the back of my head, uh, Cade McNamara going and saying, please, everybody, uh, keep talking about how shitty we're going to be. Please talk about how shitty we're going to be. And that offense looked awful all year. Yep. In fairness, he wasn't there for like half the year, but <laughs> yes. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I get what you're saying. The only pushback I'll give to the Ohio State thing, just because I have to look for some kind of positive, is I think yeah. it's there on defense. I think Jim Knowles has put together a good defense, and I think that those guys are fired up. And I, and you know, everybody's going to say, well, they let up two scores at the end of the game. Yeah, I'm sure you let up two scores too if you were carrying the team the entire. Game. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's only so much you can do. Um, and so, which, you know, like you said, Derek, it's concerning for an offensive coach to have an offense that looks like there's no juice. You know, are you actually evaluating these players, you know, or does Brian Hartline just get on 24-7 and say, oh, this is the number one player. I'll go after him. Like, no, you should be doing your own evaluations. You know, like, don't just don't just say, oh, J.J. Smith, he's the number one wide receiver in the country. I'm going to go after him. You know, make sure you're doing your own evaluations, too, and actually figure out, is this guy a good culture fit? Uh, is this guy a good fit for the offense? That kind of stuff. Um, right. And I've been told there are changes coming to the offensive coaching staff. Uh, now I've never held my, you know, hopes up too high, uh, until it actually happens, but that's what I've been told. So we'll see, uh, Justin, who were your, uh, disappointments, losers, whatever you want to call them in the big 10, uh, bowl season. Probably to no surprise. They're the same, um, <laughs> with Ohio state, I, I may take, you know, I take a very phys- philosophical, if I can speak approach to a lot of things. So, Ohio State, right? Looking at that game, and you know, I kind of thought this may happen, but again, not to this degree. Uh, I, I, you know, Ohio State thinks they're one of the four best teams in the country. Okay, they were, you know, they lost to Michigan in the the game that they absolutely could not lose, and that got Michigan into the playoff. You know, you have while while albeit you do have uber talented team at every you know, spot in the depth chart. But, you know, still with everything else, that team came out flat. But missing those players, you know, and and, and Emeka Buga was still there, you know, and losing Drew Brown to the injury. Those things are such a big impact in terms of not only does the team come in with that mindset of like, oh, like we don't even want to be here necessarily. Missouri's like, ecstatic to be there and ready to just play their tails off. And not only that, you're you're having these players opt out, you know, before the game and then all of a sudden you have a quarterback change. I just don't think it could be understated how much those things impact the game and on the grand scheme of things for that team that won lost one game in the regular season, you know, to go and then call for the coach, head coach to be fired, it, it gives me vibes of Frank Solich in Nebraska. And that was the ultimate demise of Nebraska as we fired Frank Solich because, you know, he was winning nine, ten games a year, you know, and it's 
everybody gets fire happy, but you know, who you replace them with first off. And second off, are you ready for that process of, of churning out those players, you know, for this other guy's players and staff coming in here and ready to, to potentially deal with that in a transition year where the big 10 is about to get a lot tougher. I think you have to think about that and it's not going to look, you know, it's not going to help them in the first couple of years if they just switch coaches. It's not. And I, I just, I don't think it's the right thing to do in the timing. That's terrible, but that's just on the, uh, and, and if you want to touch on that, you know, the only thing I'll say is like, you know, uh, typically the most negative voices are always the most prominent ones, yeah. right? Those are always, I mean, I think all of our fan bases, we all have great fan bases who are wild and, and have expectations and, and want to see uh, greatness from their teams. Uh, and each of our fan bases, you know, in the last 10 years have seen, you know, highs and lows. Yeah. Um, and typically on those lows, you see, you know, the most negative, the most disheartened fans of them all. And, and unfortunately, I think, a lot of times on Twitter, people see the most negative fans, and those are the ones who get highlighted the most. Do I think the majority of Ohio State fans want Ryan Day fired? No. Uh, at least the rational ones. No. Yeah. Do I think the majority of Ohio State fans are saying, hey, let's make sure we have somebody ready just in case? Yeah, because that's kind of where I am. It's like, yeah. look, I don't want Ryan Day fired after this season. I think he can tweak a few things, and I think things will get better. Do I think the culture is absolutely terrible? No. Do I think there needs to be a shift in a few areas? Yes. But at the end of the day, if Ryan Day comes out and he goes 8-4 and four next year, to me, you better have a contingency plan uh, yeah. because that's going to really show that, you know, the things are going downhill, and that is when you have to correct it because, you know, you can't just, like – let that happen, yep. um, especially at a at a school as large and with as many fans as as Ohio State. So, yep. so I'm not okay. on the fire Ryan Day train at all. I don't think anybody else, is, you know, not anybody else. I don't think the entire fan base is. I think most people are there. Like, hey, let's start reaching out to maybe a few other coaches just in case this does go south. So that way, we're not stuck in a in a bad place where like we have to fire Ryan Day, but we can't. Yep. Because we don't have anybody else there. Michigan won in Brita Harbaugh two years ago for for very similar circumstance. So, um, and Iowa, I'll just touch on Iowa real quick. Um, Iowa's terrible. I hate them. Um, I don't like Ferentz. I don't like them at all. So that was beautiful to watch. I typically root for Big Ten, but not when it's Iowa. Um, so my MVP of the bowl season is Tory Taylor. I was punter, seven punts for 360 yards, 51.4 average. It was really nice of Iowa to let him go out there and put on his own pro day. So good, yeah, good on he Iowa. broke the record. He broke the record. I've been talking yep. about so good on Iowa. For doing that. that was that. That's a lot about the culture there. If you're a punter, go to Iowa. Yeah. Uh, Dylan's let me know. We need to send you a Purdue hat. Uh, Dylan, I would wear it proudly on the podcast. If you send me a Purdue hat. So yes, please do. I wanted one of those boiler express hats, but you said that was one of a kind. So, all right, well, uh, let's just pile it on with Ohio state. Uh, is Ohio state, cheating so if you've been on twitter you've seen some of the stuff going on uh you've seen the catapult stuff uh you, you saw dan wetzel talk about how uh there's a possibility that michigan is, is i don't think he used the word victim but he used some kind of word that to, to say that michigan may have been a target i think that's maybe what he said uh, a target of some of this cheating so obviously everybody is then going to connect ohio state 
into this because uh, what is happening is that apparently there was a possible data breach at Catapult. Catapult holds a lot of uh, practice footage, things like that for teams. And so now uh, many people think that this must be Ohio State, that Ohio State uh, figured out about Michigan's cheating and they just decided to do their own cheating, whatever you want it to be. Um, And then obviously other Twitter accounts got a hold of it uh, and many websites got a hold of it as well. I know Wolverine Wire uh, did a, a good good job of reporting it with the facts of what was going on. Uh, I think it was Isaiah Holt or Holt. Um, I think he did yeah, a good job. With his, yeah, I think he did a good job with his article, just laying out the entire situation. Um, and then I think somebody who did an absolutely terrible job is blue, blue bloods black bias. Um, I, I, that Twitter account is losing credibility by the day. <laughs> Yes, me. Um, so I know Blue Bloods bias is the one out there that's getting like a lot of the recognition, and I wish other people would because there's other people, like I said, Isaiah Hole that's doing a good job reporting on this and actually yeah. talking about it. Um, but I, you know, Blue Bloods uh, sensationalized it a bit for me, and then what happened? Um, what was it? Two or three days ago, uh, RJ uh, from I forget what his last name is, but him from uh, I'll look it up really fast. Him from uh, on three, he reported that Catapult came out and they had a statement that said they found no data breaches or unauthorized access to any customer's content. We are not under investigation by the NCAA or any law enforcement agency. So a report that would seem to kind of put Ohio State in the clear, but, you know, obviously there's always more to the story than what there might seem. So it's kind of one of those situations where it's a little dicey and we don't have all of the information. Uh, more information could come out. Adam Rittenberg did a nice piece on it as well for the ESPN talking about all the facts that were going on there. Uh, so I'm just going to basically open it up with a really, really simple question and we'll kick it to Derek first. Uh, Derek. Do you believe Ohio State cheated and stole practice footage of other teams? So I would hope that. So, so a, a little more, a little more depth, right? Is um, semantics. Semantics go a long way, um, right? So, is catapult being investigated, or is there a separate investigation going on? And Catapult just has something that's part of that investigation, right? So Catapult might be coming out to try and save their business and say, hey, we're not being investigated. Nothing got hacked into our system. That doesn't necessarily mean that maybe there's not a separate investigation taking place into any number of college football programs where if, because accessing data like that doesn't necessarily have to come from hacking, if there's people that are uh, giving out somebody else's uh, stuff, people on the inside, right? So mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily be any sort of breach that would scare teams away from using the catapult programs in the future, uh, which would be very detrimental to, to their business. Um, so I would hope, uh, I would hope that if, if something does come out, um, I would hope that there's no major coaches that, that are part of it. Um, if, if something does come out, uh, I would 
I would hope that for the integrity of college football, um, that it would be something like a, a low level staffer trying to, uh, to get the edge on their own career, um, by oh, finding yeah. what's that. I wonder where that happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why uh, you're that as the baseline for good right. versus bad. Just, just hypothetically, right? Just, hypothetical. just oh, hypothetical. yeah, hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, um, but you know, gosh, for, I, I don't know. Maybe that there's part of me that hopes that that uh, this thing grows legs and and blows up um, just because of the way that the the Michigan situation was handled. Um, the the way that the the way that it was really a, a, a targeted job against Harbaugh, who if there's anybody in that program that probably would be clueless to it, it even though he should be in charge of his program, right? That's the that's the saying is that you you're you're in charge of your whole program. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's probably probably would have been Jim Harbaugh, but he still was the one that everything's been levied against, and and that's the way that it has always seemed. Um, but gosh, part part of me hopes that that there is something with legs with Ohio state, because that would be great. Another part of me thinks that, uh, maybe it would be nice to be, be a little bit peaceful, uh, for a while and not have everybody calling each other cheaters every single day on every social platform that exists. Um, so, but, but this is something that, uh, like you're talking about JR, right. Um, trust, Trust the sources, um, right? Ran- random accounts on on the Twitter and social sources. media yeah. that they're not sources. Um, and if something's going on, if if this is taking place, and and I feel like there might be something to it uh, because of the fact that multiple teams changed the way that that they uh, watch film in a in a very very similar fashion. Um, that there must be something that caused those teams to do that. Right. And um, initially, a lot of people are like, oh, it must be Michigan. Uh, they're afraid of Michigan cheating. Um, and it turns out that Michigan actually was allegedly a target in any potential issue that uh, that did take place. And it's even even the the stuff that you're mentioning. On one hand, Catapult came out and acknowledged, hey, we're part of an investigation. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, they said, hey, we're not under any investigation. Uh, so, uh, again, that's where, you know, may- maybe it's semantics. Maybe it's, you know they're not being investigated, but they're part of something else that is being investigated. Yeah. I think the exact wording they use, we are not under investigation by the NCAA or any law enforcement agency. So that doesn't mean they're not investigating themselves, you know, but, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I see what you're saying there. And yeah, I mean, if I were you, Derek, I'd be hoping for the same thing. I'd be, you know, hey, get those people who are calling us cheaters and everything else, get them down in the mud yeah. with us and let it happen. You know, I'd be down there with you. Uh, Justin, obviously, you're kind of looking from the outside here of uh, the Ohio State-Michigan situation here. What's kind of your take on the whole is Ohio State cheating situation? Um, so pretty simply, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Um, and so there are a lot of different uh, organizations, people, schools that would right now like to make Ohio State a target. You know, that there's, you know, of course, Michigan would, you know, catapult. You know, there's people who may want Ryan Day out of there that can leak information. You know, don't don't put it past boosters and stuff to leak information and, and put stuff out there. Um, 
I think there's two two different things here. You know, it, what what Derek was talking about with changing the the practices uh, or the the film and stuff like that. Um, if that was a result of catapult stuff, that could just very well be like if anybody heard about cheating in general, um, they would change that. Not necessarily just because it's Ohio State. If that's what you're referring to, right? Um, yeah. But so that they would change that regardless of the team. So whoever did it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I don't know necessarily that leads to for sure being Ohio State, but I just think there's there's you know we we don't use anecdotal evidence in court for a reason, and uh, you know there's just not enough concrete. There's a lot of uh, a lot of people connecting the dots, and um, throughout history, uh, you know, internet sleuths trying to connect the dots doesn't typically work out well unless it's that cat documentary where whatever that, that cat documentary where everybody found out something putting their heads together has never happened that's why it's a documentary because it doesn't happen outside of that so we'll just wait for the news to come out but right now i'm, I'm just going to say i don't i don't necessarily think they were and if they were i don't think it would it's anything that would be a huge story i just think it's the the idea of it's getting played up a lot Similar to Michigan. I think the idea of the Michigan cheating, it got, you know, up, it right? got played up a lot because it's big brands, man. People yeah. want drama. And, and, oh, and you know, we this... acknowledged it. Oh, hold on one, one second. We acknowledged it on the Big Ten huddle. Like ESPN wants to throw this out there because they want to diminish the Big Ten. Um, so obviously it's going to get played up more by them um, in that situation. It's very possible they could do it to Ohio State too. Sorry, Derek, go ahead. And what I was going to say is that this is just another, so all of this stuff, right? Like, uh, I think that we're going to talk about this in a second, but um, college sport, the, the NCAA is not this uh, clean, everybody follows the rules organization. The, no. the NCAA is an organization that has a ton of stupid, vague rules um, and clearly clearly um tampering with players uh before they enter the, the transfer portal is a rule that is just understood it's okay for anyone to break right Un- until until somebody would bring up some sort of investigation right um clearly pay for play in recruiting is something that anybody that wants to can can just break break it like you just saw uh jr who is it jj smith uh jeremiah smith the mm-hmm. the wide receiver yeah right it took him all day to sign his uh his letter of intent and the reason that he that they said it ended up taking him all day is because he had to wait till his nil stuff uh cleared so right. it the uh the ncaa and college sports in general you think you think that there isn't sketchy stuff that's been going on with these types of things for years and years and years and years. That's right. rampant. For a long time. Right. And, and it was. The SEC is so much better at NIL NIL. right now. <laughs> right. Because they they'd already they already had the program in place before NIL exactly. was legal. <laughs> it's like, oh, we can bring these people to light now. Story of this this guy that grew up, you know, not not much money and he's uh the National Sign Days got his new Dodge Ram posting pictures on Instagram. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that, that, that segues exactly into the last question I had here. Uh, and Justin, we'll go to this first with you. I mean, you know, you look at the SEC and the SEC is basically like, if you don't talk about it, we won't talk about it. You yeah. know, Jimbo Fisher and uh, Nick Saban had their kind of spat last offseason where they kind of went at each other a bit, but they never like accused each other of cheating. I don't think. However, 
you know, in the Big Ten, what was it like almost every single coach or like every single coach wanted something to happen to Jim Harbaugh um, in that situation? Um, I don't know if I've ever heard of like the SEC doing that. And I definitely don't hear SEC fans calling out, you know, other SEC fans of schools calling them cheaters and stuff like that. Like obviously Ohio State, Michigan State fans have done to Michigan. Um, you know, and, and I'm not trying to say that it's like all fine and dandy down the SEC. I know they hate each other down there too, but um obviously the Big Ten, like there's gonna be some sketchy stuff happening if you're gonna get good at football. Like you pointed out, Derek, it's just kind of the nature of the way things are in college football. Um, Justin, is there some kind of problem that the Big Ten has with accusing and degrading one another uh, for cheating and things like that, unlike what the SEC does? I think so. It's it's the SEC for you know the longest time. Well, in recent years, right, has been seen as the better conference you know up until probably like well you know people still look at them that way but but for you know the recent years they have been put up at the top you know and it's been the sec and then everybody else the big 10 you know distant second so in a way i think the big uh the sec has had this us versus the world mentality and i think that's evident in the fact that they do stick together as a unit because their power comes in their conference, right? Um, I think that when people look at the Big Ten, they they look at the Big Ten as more individual programs. They look at it as Michigan. They look at it as Ohio State. And when you're looking at the SEC, it seems like the conversation always comes up, the SEC versus, you know. Right. And so I, I think that philosophy is why it's that way. I think the Big Ten is just one of those that's like, you know, it's a lot of big brands. And, and the way it, it has been is just, the Big Ten has been fighting for, you know, second place and and everybody wants to be the guy in that conference and everybody wants to be, you know, at the top of the the conference that's known for the biggest brands. And they so they just kind of like self, you know, destruct and cannibalize each other. And so I just think that's the difference is the SEC is just kind of always stuck together. They've 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 not always stuck together in a good way more so just a superiority complex and the fact that just that's how it's been with the sec is they've been known as the sec is the brand and the the big 10 is you know ohio state is an individual brand you see michigan is an individual brand and people want to be that top brand and in, in that yeah that's a good point um derek you agree or uh what are your thoughts on it so i i think the big 10 is on the doorstep of getting dangerously close to um to a a, a pissing match of tattletailing on each other right like it, it's uh heavy. right it kind it 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 very well very well could um and it's kind of like say you're a kid and you are at like camp or something like that uh you go to a camp or you're, you're in a big family and you got a, a bunch of siblings uh have you ever seen the movie heavyweights yep Love right? they, they all they all hide all the the candy and stuff like yeah. that in our bed yeah. clothes, right so so everybody's doing something and then if you tattle on one person and get them in trouble and everyone's doing it now it's just a big pissy match now everyone starts like tattling on each other yeah. and um there were so there there are a lot of people um a lot of people inside of the university of michigan that strongly feel and uh, I don't, I don't know what 
what evidence they do or don't have, but they strongly feel like the private investigator that uh, did investigation on them from Alan's laptop to the NCAA that showed like his spreadsheets and stuff like that uh, was hired by either Ryan Day or a member of Ryan Day's family. Um, there, there's a lot of people. I'm not talking about um, crazy message board rumors or um, people that are on Twitter under random Twitter names, um, but people that are actually like regents um, mm-hmm. uh, that are, are inside the the walls of University of Michigan uh, during this investigation. They they feel that the original private investigator came from Ohio State, um, and Tony Petiti. Uh, the way that he targeted Jim Harbaugh um, to do something completely unprecedented and um, suspend him with without any completed investigation, showing any evidence just in the middle of the season, um, doing it while he was on a plane, right? Wait, waiting until uh, he was in the air on the way to Penn State so that when they landed and people uh, turned their cell phones on, that's when Jim Harbaugh found out that that he was being suspended. Um, so what that did is that rubbed people the wrong way. So now there's a lot of stuff that people at Michigan are like, seriously, this is what you're going to come down on? Like, this is college football, and, and this is the way that you're going to act? We know some stuff. Uh, we know some stuff that other schools are doing. Um, there was rumors about Catapult specifically um, coming from inside Michigan, uh, two months ago. Um, so, and with, with Ohio state being connected to that and not even being connected with Michigan, but being connected, I think that, uh, like two months ago, it was, um, Penn state and, and Maryland maybe, um, that that they're saying, uh, allegedly, um, somebody from Ohio state was able to obtain, practice footage. Now, it, it doesn't mean that it was all of their practices. It, I, I don't know what, what that means. And and the dots were being connected with people that now work at Catapult that previously were on staff at Ohio State um, and their connections to people that, that are still on staff at Ohio State. So um, there, there's a chance that that's what this could turn into. And, and that is kind of why I was surprised that something that Michigan has clearly proved was not impactful, um, right? If if the only reason that they were successful was because um, they they had people going to to games on behalf of Connor Stallions and decoding signs for them, uh, they wouldn't have made the run that that they still made the the second half of the year this year, right? So, um, it, especially because if any program got investigated like Michigan did, and and things started getting turned over on some of their low level staffers that provide um, provide data and stuff like that to, to the coaches. There's probably a lot of programs that aren't going to come out, come out, uh, grading hundred percent at abiding by NCAA rules, uh, in that process, but nobody talks about it. Right. Cause a lot of people are like, yeah, this is, this is a stupid rule. It doesn't make sense anymore. Um, we, we, we know that other teams are doing this and it's been well documented that teams trade information with each other. Right. It, mm-hmm. it, it was documented that Rutgers and Ohio state, provided Purdue last year with that's allowed though right yeah exactly but 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 that's what I'm saying is um what's what's the difference uh what what's the like what's the difference there 
versus oh, uh, that's a whole uh, some conversation. Right, exactly. <laughs> but um, I don't have time for that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but what I'm getting at is, uh, Tony Petiti is probably the one that opened up the can of worms um, mm-hmm. for this, and um, if if dots are connected to um, anybody at Ohio State hiring the uh, original private investigating firm. Now, a, a private investigator probably covers their tracks a little bit better than Connor Stallions did uh, with his uh, Venmo receipts and tickets to games being bought under his own name uh, and stuff like that. But we'll we'll see because it, it very much could turn into uh, a, a pissing match uh, on piddly stuff that the SEC certainly does sweep significantly worse things uh, that are NCAA violations under the rug and shake their hands and smile at each other about it. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to point out just, you know, how one little thing can start an avalanche and, you know, somebody has dirt on somebody else and then you get somebody else involved and, you know, who, who knows Rutgers might have something right now that they're cooking up to say, you know, try to get us involved. Here's what we're going to throw out there. You know, I mean, it could be anything. These, these programs and these coaches have a whole lot more dirt on each other than I think we sometimes realize. And uh, for sure. Yeah, you get sure. into it. We'll see it's a happens. dangerous. Oh, go ahead. And with all the all the players transferring, like, granted, you know, a lot of times players have not like players have nothing to do with any of this stuff. They they go to class, they they do their studies, they show up, and and they get told what the game plan is, and yeah. uh, and they get coached on it, right? But uh, if players do have any wind of it, I mean, in 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 inner trans or inner conference transfers are pretty regular now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even uh, with coaches, right? Um, you've got a head coach at Purdue that was Rutgers at Illinois. Just taking like all of Minnesota's coaches, <laughs> right, 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 right. Minnesota's coaches are are going to Rutgers, so yeah. um, there's a lot of a lot of connections that uh, certainly do know uh, shady things that go on within every program. Yeah. Um, last last thing on that, yeah, if you ahead. don't mind, is good. You know, um, similar to what we were talking about earlier, where there, where there's money, there's corruption, right? And and baseball, right? Other teams were obviously cheating besides the Astros, but they kept those in-house because it's a black eye on MLB, right? Conferences right now need to be thinking of business the same way because even more so now in the these major network TV deals and this arms race of his businesses, his individual businesses of these conferences right now. So what the teams within the conference need to understand that we're putting a black eye on our conference versus theirs if we continue to do this. And so... I think this whole pissing match has to like kind of stop. And I think they need to start coming together and, and as one and realize the Big Ten's in the best position right now going forward starting next year. And they need to cut all this stuff out because we have new members coming in that are seeing all this as well. And so, you know, if there's another realignment, which there will be in the future, this it's gotta, this gotta stop um, for the Big Ten to want to want to get on top and stay on top. So, yeah. Uh, Last thing we have a comment from. Nick, uh-oh, where'd it go? There it is. Uh, Ohio State is absolutely cheating. How is it not cheating? He means cheating uh, when you steal an opponent's practice footage. Yes, if they are indeed stealing the practice footage, then yeah, yeah. that would be 100% cheating. Uh, like we said, you know, the investigation uh, or whatever investigation is happening, it's kind of unclear at this point. Um, you know, we need to see what happens there. But uh, like I said, you know, there are good reporters out there that are doing a good job 
with this kind of stuff. Um, Isaiah Holt, I think, is doing a good job. Uh, Adam Rittenberg, I think, did a good job for ESPN. Um, I didn't really like what Dan Wetzel put out there. It seemed very vague and confusing and seemed like he had information that he wasn't willing to give. So I don't know. He might put more stuff out there. I'm not trying to disparage Dan Wetzel's name uh, or anything like that, but he's another person that's putting information out there. Uh, Just please, for the love of all things that are holy, do not base all of your knowledge on this situation on Blue Bloods bias it's not a smart decision (laughs) there's going to be more misinformation than there is concrete evidence because misinformation in in that the the bigger stories is saying that ohio state did this versus saying they didn't exonerating them is not the big story right now the big story is pushing this and so a lot of right yeah people say don't believe everything you see on the internet and yet continue to do that and say as a matter of fact they're cheating but you know look at the evidence presented it's not it's not there yet it's not not even close to, to proof yeah Exactly. So, all right, we are going to do our final thing, which is our Big Ten uh, quarterback portal additions. So I'm going to go ahead, give that overlay. And, whoops, sorry, guys. There we go. All right, Big Ten portal quarterback rankings. Uh, from the transfer portal so far, these are the ones we have committed. Dante Moore and Dylan Gabriel are going to Oregon. Curtis Rourke, that's a typo there. I do apologize. He is from Ohio, going to Indiana. MJ Morris going to Maryland. Aiden Childs to Michigan State. Max Brosmer and Logan Fife going to Minnesota. Will Rogers from Mississippi State. He is going to Washington. Athens Kaliak Maris, internal uh, conference transfer, like we were talking about, from Minnesota. To Rutgers and then Tyler Van Dyke, the Miami quarterback, is going to Wisconsin. So here's how this is going to work. I didn't give these guys any like parameters to say, like, you know, most impactful, best, whatever. I just said, rank these quarterback additions. This can be for next year. This can be for the future. However, these guys want to interpret it, we'll kind of do this how we've done before. We'll go with Justin first, then me, then we'll let Derek do his one and two, then back to me. Justin can do his two and three, back to me, kind of snake style there and just kind of go as we please. So, uh, Justin, we'll start with you. Who is your most impactful Big Ten portal quarterback transfer? All right. This might be different than y'all's. We'll see. But um, I personally think uh, just as far as impact to the team and with the situation there in Aiden Childs, hmm. um, reason being Michigan State is uh, in, in shambles right now. They lost not only their starting quarterback, but they also lost uh, Levitt, who was, in my opinion, better than their starter. But he was he was a freshman, true freshman or uh, retro freshman. Can't quite remember. But um, that guy was really going to be really good for them losing him and their starting quarterback left them in a terrible situation and again in a transition situation they're in right now and you know it's 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 not looking up to be able to go out and get you know a guy of you know his caliber you know when he was recruited um especially is just it's big for them moving forward and and the quarterback position of course in transition year is the most important part of a team and uh it's the most important thing to get right as we saw in nebraska they got that completely wrong but i digress so uh, I'll and go ahead. Dylan Rayola. It's all good. Now, now, yeah. But last season, let's not forget yeah. that happened. Um, well, what happened then? Jeff Sims. Uh, yeah, but uh, so Aiden Childs, uh, in my opinion, is uh, my one. 
Excellent, excellent. I'm going to go with Dylan Gabriel. I think that uh, Oregon's really on a roll right now. I think they have a good chance of winning the Big Ten next year, uh, and losing Bo Nix was a huge blow, but for them to get a proven commodity like Dylan Gabriel, uh, and that's kind of what I'm looking at here, proven guys, guys who are uh, going to come in, and you know we know that they have done a really good job. So for me, my number one, Dylan Gabriel. Derek, who's your number one? Uh, mine is Dylan Gabriel as well. Um... I think that he's the he's the guy that's gonna step into a a a program that's um possibly ready to ready to win right now and um deliver a Heisman Heisman type caliber season for sure. All right, who's your number two? Dylan Gabriel. I mean, uh, you know. I was I figured Dylan Gabriel. He was my one originally, but um, you know, just looking at it as Oregon, you know, is. You know, they're, they're well established. They got talent across the board, but, uh, Dylan Gabriel, of course, is going to be necessary. They get, they had to get a, a good guy in there to come in there and, and lead that team because, of course, like you said, they're going to be very competitive next year as well. And losing a guy like, you know, Monix can't be discounted. So, um, yeah, Dylan Gabriel, number two. Uh, mine, and I agree with that, is actually Dante Moore, kind of hot takey here. I just think Oregon did a great job of setting themselves up for next year and then getting a guy who had some experience this year who can sit and kind of learn the offense and that kind of stuff uh, behind Dylan Gabriel. So I know I'm really Oregon heavy here at the top, but I, I just I love what Oregon did in the transfer portal. They identified what they needed, and they went after it. So uh, great job by them. Derek, who's your number two? Uh, so my number two is Will Rogers. Um, I think that Washington, Washington going in, um, plucking a, a quarterback that um, has done the things that he's done in the SEC, um, and being able to uh, replace Michael Penix with um, depth that they don't have at the quarterback position right now uh, on their roster uh, will will help create continuity. Um, they've, they've started to build culture, like what we're talking about. Uh, I think that will help prevent them from being um, the next version of TCU where you have a really great season, get to the national championship game, uh, lose a lot of good players off that team. And then, uh, can't follow up with a good season next year. I think that's going to be a, a key fee, a key piece to that team. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's stick with Derek. Derek, go ahead and give us your number three here. As much as, as much as I hate to say this, I'll, I'll give this one to, to Aiden Childs. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that when we're talking about potential impactful players, that program's down so bad. Michigan State's down so bad uh, right now. Um, being able to to come up with a win here and uh, get get a starting quarterback that uh, can be a difference maker um, on the team, uh, I think that that was a big win for that program. Um, if if Michigan's program wasn't in such, or if Michigan State's program wasn't in such shambles right now. Uh, I might feel a little bit differently, but but I feel like as much as it pains me to put anything Michigan State related uh, up towards the top of anything, um, I think that he's got a good chance at, even if it doesn't show up and win some losses next year, uh, at least impacting that program in a positive way. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great addition for them. I am going to go with uh, oh, was it? There's, I'm going to go with Will Rogers as my number three uh, for a lot of the same reasons. Derek said, you know, you got Michael Penix Jr. heading out, bringing in a guy like Will Rogers who can come in, uh, help help things out. I, I hope Washington doesn't get too transfer portal heavy. I hope they do are uh, with the quarterback. I hope they do develop some guys. Uh, but if they feel like they have a guy who's who's ready but just not ready yet, uh, this is a good addition by them. All right, Justin, give us your number three. Yeah, it's got to be Will Rogers. <clears throat> Again, same same thing I'll mention. It's just it, it's the most important position to and not only not only in college football, but like just look at what Penix means to that team. And while you're not going to be able to replace Michael Penix, having somebody who can come in and at least you know shorten that gap of that fall off, and uh, they're they're going to need that because you know they're going to be recruiting that you know. And Will Rogers again going against higher level competition is going to be huge for him coming in there. Because going to the Big Ten schedule, so um, Washington coming into the Big Ten next year, they they got the experience, they got a quarterback, and you know if they would have took too steep of a fall off, they would have fell into the arms race of the Big Ten most likely. So yeah, Will Rogers huge for them. Sweet. Who's your number four then, Justin? Um, my four is uh, actually oh my gosh, I just deleted Kurt, uh, Curtis Rourke. I, I said Kurt because you said. <laughs> because you put Kurtick on the thing and I just I pasted the name but sorry I mean, my bad no I said it wrong um you know Curtis I know that I know it's it's a little little dicey putting him here but uh 2022 Mac MVP 2022 offensive player uh of the year in the Mac um 69 percent his uh sophomore year uh three three thousand two hundred fifty six yards 25 touchdowns four interceptions I think them getting an improvement at the quarterback position is is massive um and you know it, while he did play at a at a nothing school, you know, still the the looking at the film and looking at you know just a little bit I could find on him, he's a, he's a big body quarterback. You know, he fits the the prototypical size and um, just an overall I think will be a solid addition. I, I promise I'm not trying to copy you here, Justin, but he's actually my fourth <laughs> as well. Uh, and a lot of those same reasons you guys are saying with Aiden Childs and, and pretty much the reason I have him above a guy like Aiden Childs is because um, he actually does have two years of eligibility left. Uh, so not a lot of people realize that. So he's going to be able to, to be there for two years. And, and I just think he's more proven than Aiden Childs. Um, you know, not that I think Aiden Childs can be bad, you know, I'm not saying that, but he's mm-hmm. proven, you know, he, yeah. he's proven he can do it. Um, I think it was like, Two years ago, the top five QBRs in the nation were something like, I know Curtis Rourke was in there. He was number four. Uh, and it was something like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. Um, I think it was uh, Hendon Hooker and the Jordan McLeod guy from James Madison, uh, yep. who Kirk Sinetti had. So uh, he's he's actually a really good quarterback. I don't think a, pe- a lot of people know about him, but um, some Big Ten people might. So really, really good pickup for IU. All right, Derek, who's your number four? Uh, my number four guy is Tyler Van Dyke. Um, I think uh, the way that Wisconsin's being, uh, being built right now, um, they're they're gonna have to to go to the the transfer portal as as Luke Vickle continues to to build that program, um, being able to to take a, a plug and play player like this uh, that can come in and and be a starter and be an upgrade over the what Wisconsin has had historically uh, at quarterback. Um, hopefully, uh, I think that's a, a big step in what Luke Vickle is trying to build at Wisconsin. So as far as uh, the impact that he can have as a one-year transfer um 
I think he only has one year. I think he's already used three years mm-hmm. of eligibility. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think that for where Wisconsin's trying to get to, um, that's going to be big for that program to be able to take an experienced guy and plug him in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, Derek, who's your number five? So now uh, next I have Dante Moore. Um, so I think that uh, what you were talking about to to put him at number two, um, you know, quite honestly, he, he should have committed there uh, coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that he realizes that. I think he, he knows that he's going here to develop for, uh, for a year behind Dylan Gabriel. Um, and then uh, he'll have one to two years as a starter for Oregon. So um, I, I think Oregon did a good job hitting the transfer portal uh, with quarterbacks here to not just plug and play, get a one and done guy, but to, uh, to, to bring two potentially elite quarterbacks uh, into their system on with him being willing to transfer, knowing that he's not transferring to be a, the guy this year. Uh, I, I think that's impactful for Oregon dangerous for all of us uh, with Oregon coming into the big 10. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm actually going to go a little off the board here. My number five is Athen Kaliak Manis. I know a lot of people are oh. not into him and, you know, see him as a very bad quarterback. And I get it. He was not great at Minnesota. Um, however, I do see the physical attributes. I do see who Rutgers is. Um, you know, you look at Rutgers and if they had a bit more of a competent passer, they could have been you know, maybe another game or two winners this year. I mean, not a lot of people realize, but the way, the reason Ohio state was able to pull away from Rutgers in that game was because of that pick six, which, you know, people can argue about what happened with the targeting call and all that stuff. But um, I mean, if you had a little bit more of a competent passer and, and he's more of a runner than I think people give him credit for. So I'm not trying to say, I think Kaliak Manis is any type of world beater or anything like that, or that he's this great player. Uh, but I do like the pickup from Rutgers. I like that. They're not just staying, you know, with Gavin Wimsat and saying, okay, yeah, you're, you're unable to pass the ball and we're going to stick with that or whatever. Uh, Greg Shiano is really trying to uh, improve this program and uh, the offensive coordinator, which they got from Minnesota did a really good job with Athen when he was at Minnesota. Uh, so kind of the reuniting there. So um, I like this pickup for Rutgers. I don't know if I think that Athen is a great player. Uh, or I, I know he's not a great player, but I think that he's going to be good for Rutgers. And so that's why, that's why I'm there. Justin, who's your number five? MJ Morris. Um, I think MJ Morris, because he, he fits the mold of what they already want there in a quarterback, you know, um, he's more of a guy who's going to be, you know, he can, uh, the RPOs are his strength. You know, he can throw the ball deep, but he's a guy, he averaged, I think six and a half yards a carry in, in, in uh, high school. So I just think he fits exactly what they want to do. And, and for that reason, um, that's why I've ranked a little higher. And I just think he's dynamic enough to be able to, um, go in there and, and be able to, uh, you know, it's more so when you look at somebody's numbers, you, you try to look at the actual fit of the team they were on versus the team they're going to. And I just think it's going to play to his strengths more than anything. So definitely a good replacement for uh, for Talia if he yep. gets the starting job. So, all right. Number six, Justin. Uh, my number six is uh, Tyler Van Dyke. Um, you know, again, we're, we're touching on similar things. It's just a matter of that team, you know, needing to go get their quarterback and 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 find their system. And uh, I think he's, you know, he's nothing crazy, but he's, he's good enough to be able to come in there and establish a type of at least get 
you know, he's not going to put them over the hump, but he's going to be able to kind of give them a little bit of success. And we're going to be, they're going to be able to see what kind of system they want to implement there and then kind of build off of that. But I think Tyler Van Dyke is, is limited in his ceiling, but I do think he's solid enough um, where he's going to be a great addition there. So, Yeah, Van Dyke is my number six as well. And for a lot of the same reasons you said, I don't think he has the highest ceiling in the world, but I think he's a good pickup and something uh, that Phil Longo can uh, can do with. Um, and I, I don't know if they could have done better. So it's one of yeah. those situations where it's like you got a guy who's going to be good for you, who's going to make things happen for you. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, and Phil Longo is really, really good with quarterbacks. So we'll see yep. what he's able to do with them. All right, Derek, you're number six. Uh, Curtis Rourke. Uh, so you guys were talking about a lot of things uh, earlier with him coming from a, a Mac program and coming from a smaller school. Um, I, I, th- I think it'll still be a couple years before Indiana really is threatening um, at, at any level, uh, especially with the, the new teams coming into the big 10. Um, I think that that's going to be more detrimental to, to their overall success, but uh, with a new regime, uh, being able to to bring a new quarterback in with that, and um, sometimes you, you kind of see the a, a similar type of a situation that could develop with uh, Michael Penix going from Indiana to Washington. Right, he was a good quarterback at Indiana, um, and then went to Washington and should have been a Heisman Trophy winner. So sometimes you get some of those smaller school quarterbacks that that move into a bigger program, and they might bring a little more surprise with it. But but I think just being able to to come in with a new regime and be part of leading that regime could end up having a decent impact for Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're on the right page there. All right, Derek, number seven. Uh, next I have Kelly McManus. Um, and uh, the thing with him is he just, he, he has big 10 starting experience uh, under his belt. He has big 10 game experience under his belt. I thought he was uh, a little underrated, uh, in general at Minnesota, I thought, I thought he was a, a pretty good thrower. Um, he, his, his arm was, uh, was pretty good. Um, but being able to, when you can get starting experience, uh, when you can get starting experience, that's battle tested against the level of competition that, that you're going to, uh, be playing against. Um, I, I think that's a win in the transfer portal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think he has better physicality than some people realize. So I think that's a good right. pick. All right. Uh, I'll finally go with Aiden Childs here at number seven. Uh, like I said, you know, I, I just, I think he's good. I think it's a good fit with him and Jonathan Smith. Um, you know, I don't know if Michigan State was going to do better in this situation. Um, but, you know, we just, we haven't seen him a whole lot yet. So we'll see what happens. Uh, by no means do I think it's a bad pickup. I think all the other pickups in front of them were good too. Uh, so we'll just, we'll see how it goes, but I like him at seven. All right, Justin, who's your number seven? My number seven is, uh, going to be, uh, actually, uh, finally Dante Moore. Uh, the reason Dante Moore is a little lower for me is the fact that, you know, Dylan Gabriel going in there and, the way the transfer portal works. Let me see if he makes it to the field before I uh, throw him to the top of the list. Um, So for that reason, you know, he still has to go above some of these other guys, but just for that reason, tempering expectations a little bit until I see, you know, if he makes it to the field, Um, we're talking about impact to the team. Well, at least when I was thinking impact to the team and and moving forward. So I put him here for that reason. Yeah, no, I I think that makes total sense. All right. Number eight. Oh, um, (laughs) 
I'm, I'm I am like completely just losing my train of thought. Calicamacus, and I am I am not as uh, as a Calicamanus. Why does he keep saying, that? dude? I I've called him Calic Calicamanus for the longest time, and I hate mispronouncing names. I cannot get his right. Um, but hard one. Similar, similar to what y'all said, coming into the season, I did think he was uh, a little underrated. Um, but over the course of the season, I kind of found out that maybe I was wrong. Um, you know, I, I think he's a good thrower of the football. I just, you know, he was, he's on a Minnesota team. That's, that's not very good. He's, I still see him as kind of, you know, big 10 leftovers, but, um, we're so late on the list that I had to throw him in somewhere. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing really at these guys, you're kind of throwing, throwing a dart, but, uh, you know, like you said, proven big 10 experience, he's been in close games, you know, he, he won against Nebraska in the big QB battle, him versus Sims. So, um, yeah, Cali Manis. I, I just think th- them landing him and with the experience and similar to what you were talking about earlier, just with proven game time and, and actual has played. I think he's just kind of the best shot they had. And, you know, they got him. So, yep. All right, I will go with MJ Morris at number eight. Um, I do think that he is a good fit, like you were talking about, uh, Justin. I, <clears throat> I, I just I don't know where Maryland goes exactly from here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it is with MJ Morris, great. Do I think they probably could have done better in the portal? Yeah, I think they probably could have. I think there were some better options out there. I think honestly, I think they could have on for Kyle McCord quite a bit and yep. tried to get him. Uh, and so uh, MJ Morris to me feels like Maryland went into the portal and they got their fifth or sixth guy. Um, that's not trying to say that MJ's a bad player or anything like that. It's just not a name that pops. It's not one that, you know, incites excitement or anything like that. So for me, um, I had it down at eight. Derek, who's your number eight? Uh, I, I got MJ Morris in this spot too. Um, so out of out of everyone that we've talked about on this list, um, that this is the first one that potentially could never start a game um, at at Maryland, right? So um, I, I feel the same way, Jr. I, f- I feel like that they, they went out and they got they they got a depth player um, for their roster that can maybe compete um, and and maybe come and surprise. Uh, what you were talking about earlier, Justin. Um, they, they went and found a guy that fits their system uh, with the the things that fit within his skill set. Um, you know, maybe if you would have got a, a better opportunity at, at NC State, maybe um, maybe I would feel a little bit different. But I, there's just there's not a, a lot to see out of him yet at the the college level. And um, you, you just saw how Maryland's uh, next starting quarterback looked in the bowl game, um, and it was pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're making a lot of sense there. Um, so is your is it safe to say your number nine and ten or Brosmer and then Fife? Yeah, Brosmer and then Fife. Yeah, I I think you know at least man, Minnesota's quarterback situation is going to be in a going to be in a tough spot. At least Brosmer comes in uh, with a lot of college football experience. It's FCS experience, but uh, he's played a lot of years of football and played in a lot of college football games. Um, Fife, on the other hand, um, that one kind of surprises me because he's only got a handful of, uh, games that, that he's played in under his belt at Fresno state, who's been a division two powerhouse the last few years, but, um, but, but still it's not, you know, there, there's not really like a body of work that, that gives me any type of feeling about that one. 
right? And plus, he's coming in behind Brosmer. I mean, I think it's pretty evident Brosmer is the starter here, and Fife is kind of just like a you know depth piece behind him. Um, yeah, I had the same thing. I had Brosmer and then Fife. Um, I don't know. I I it's not that I think Brosmer is a bad player by any means. I mean, the guy threw for nearly thirty five hundred yards last year at NFCS at New Hampshire. So um, obviously, this guy can throw the ball. Um, I just I don't. I don't know what PJ Fleck is doing, right? You have this really, really good running back and Darius Taylor, um, who, who's going to be there next year. And you're going in and getting a guy who threw over 450 passes last year at the FCS level. Like, is he trying to find Cam Ward? Is he trying? I just, I don't really know what PJ Fleck is doing here. Maybe he's cooking something up where it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be uh, something that we've never seen before, you know, more power to you, PJ, but it just, it seems like he just went out there and kind of got some guy that he felt like could throw the ball around. And he's hoping that'll make it happen when they're not handing it off to uh, Darius Taylor next year. And then Fife, kind of the same thing I said with, with Derek, you know, just, kind of the player behind Brosmer depth piece. So uh, is it safe to say you have it the same way, Justin? Yeah. You can pencil me in for that. Yep. Um, yeah. PJ Fleck, um, he's lost at sea with his tight pants on right now, rowing his boat somewhere. And I don't even think he knows where he's going. So, um, you know, he lost my number eight to land nine and 10. That's all you need to say about uh, PJ Fleck right now. Right. Know where Minnesota's at. So, Yep, it's an interesting one for sure. So those are our QB uh, Big Ten portal uh, rankings for the QB additions so far. Still some QBs out there. There's a lot of rumblings about Will Howard possibly going to USC or Ohio State. So uh, that's very interesting to see which Big Ten team he would go to. Um, If I had to pencil him in, I I might put him somewhere in the top three, maybe two or three, bump one of those guys down. Uh, just because it looks like Ohio State really, really needs a quarterback. I don't think I'm putting him over Dylan Gabriel, though. You guys have any thoughts where you would put Will Howard if he goes to Ohio State or USC? Probably behind Dylan. So number three for you. Yeah. Eric, you have any thoughts? Uh, I'd probably put him behind Will Rogers. Um, yeah, number three. Makes sense. So yep. So we'll see what happens there. Um, where did you put uh, Dylan Raiola? <laughs> I just want to talk about the good news. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Can we basically call him a transfer portal? <laughs> yeah, just slide um, the recruit. Hey, in there. <laughs> hey, if we're talking about Aiden Childs at number one, Dylan Rarell is above him. If you ask me, yeah, exactly. It fits the philosophy of my rankings. When I'm when I'm talking to Aiden Childs, I'm talking about and and I'm putting factoring in the fact that you know Oregon, the difference between them landing Dylan Gabriel and another quarterback with their talent is. They'll still be really good. Uh, Michigan State needed this, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it looks good on them not only in a recruiting sense, but that people are going to want to come play with a quarterback like him if he can show out. And yeah, yeah, and like I said, it, it's kind of different for everybody. You yeah, know, exactly. We kind of all went out at different angles. So that's why I like this uh, the the way you drew it up and just send it out, just like rank them. No, yeah. no criteria, so we can each put our little own spin on it. Yeah, and it's a good conversation. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that's all I got. I guess I'll switch it back over to the other 
really fast before we get out of here. Um, thanks everybody for joining. Thank you, Justin and Derek for joining almost a two hour episode. So we really went at it tonight, but appreciate you guys being here and appreciate everybody for listening to us. We had to make sure we talked about Derek's Wolverines to, uh, to, to as Got much it. as possible because we know ESPN's not doing them any favors. So yeah. we'll, we'll do Michigan <laughs> some favors and give them their praise over here. So tell your mm-hmm. friends, Derek, tell your friends that an Ohio state fan gave Michigan their praise that ESPN was unwilling to give them. <laughs> I'll, I'll spread the word. I'll spread Maybe, the word. Don't get used to it. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great night. You guys have a great night. We'll see you next time. Go blue.